You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Mariner's Pod. Thanks for being here once again. Gary Hill with you. Mariners win last night against Tampa in Game 1 of the series. A thriller last night. We'll touch on that in just a second. We'll also hear, this is a fun roundtable coming up, a uh, chance to catch up with Jason Churchill and Luke Arkins, and we just kind of talk about, we haven't had them on this year, which is completely my fault. So we do a lot of catching up. We talk about the season in general, get their thoughts on a ton of different subjects, ranging from J.P. Crawford to Logan Gilbert all over the place. So it's a really fun conversation that will come up after we talk about the game last night. Of course, the Mariners took two of three from the Twins, and they hit the road. Mariners, the first of four against Tampa Bay last night. Uh, three more this weekend. Tough series, clearly. Tampa, one of the best teams in baseball. Defensively, they've been the best team in baseball, plus at every single position. Their bullpen is lights out. It's been nearly invincible this year. The starting pitching has been excellent as well. They've just been so good this season so no doubt coming into this one the Mariners had their hands full in a four-game series let's get the bad news out of the way first Justin Dunn who looked really good early on in the ball game uh, two innings just one hit no runs a strikeout but had to leave the game the same shoulder soreness he was feeling before that struck him again here's what Justin Dunn said after the game it was, it was bothering me a little bit during warmups, um, but it was one of those situations where you got to be able to throw through some stuff, you know, so I wanted to go out and at that point I felt like it was my job to go take the ball and see how long I can go. Um, but in the second there, it felt like my arm action was changing a little bit and that was kind of my tell to, to say something. I didn't want to potentially keep throwing through something if I had to manipulate the way I threw to, to be able to pitch. Um, that only leads to more problems. So. Hopefully I was able to shut it down quick enough and get it looked at tomorrow, and hopefully nothing's too bad. Was there something on that strikeout? It it looked like maybe you you moved a little bit differently on that strikeout in the second. Nothing? No, nothing. It was was all outing. Justin, this is the second time in, I think, three weeks where it hasn't felt right to you. I mean, how concerned are you, and and, and, what do you think going forward? Do you need another IL stint? probably a longer one just to rest it up and make sure it's always right or it's all right when you get back. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my concern level is, is not crazy high. Um, I obviously don't like that. It's the shoulder. Um, that's, that scares me a little bit, but the fact that my velo is the same, my stuff's the same um, is all encouraging for me. My strength is good. Um, we got to check out. Strength is all good. So praying nothing structurally, um, but I just think I need a little rest. Um, we'll see tomorrow, get it looked at and, have a clearer picture as to what's going to happen. Um, but I'm hopeful that, that it's nothing too serious or nothing too crazy. Um, like I said, just the fact that I'm able to go out and hold my VLO and, and stuff still be sharp is a good sign for me. We, I don't know if we asked you the last time, but had you ever dealt with this prior to this last time, like in your time with New York or even in college or anything like that? Yeah, um, I felt something similar in 2017. Um, but with that, I couldn't even throw. Um, so... That's why my concern level the first time wasn't too high. The fact that I was even able to throw, um, like I said, you got to be able to throw through some stuff at some point. You know, it's it's not always 100% every time you touch the ball. So 
Um, the fact that I was able to go out there and throw and compete was encouraging. Um, but just want to make sure I'm not doing more harm than good. You know, I don't want to take the ball at 65% and not be able to help the team. I want to make sure I'm 100% and every time I touch the ball and give us a chance to win the game. Given that it was only a short while ago that you were on the IL, do you think you came back too soon? Or does it go back to what you were saying of you got to get out there and try it out and see if you can pitch through some stuff? Yeah, I think it's the competitor in me. You don't want to be out, you know. Um, and I think, like like I've been saying, you got to be able to throw through some stuff at, the, at this point in our career and, and where we're at. And um, you you don't feel ideal every time you touch the ball, you know. So it was one of those things. I was able to play catch, had some good days, um, and it felt like we were starting to make a lot of progress. So um, with that, I was like, all right, let's roll and take the ball and, and see how it goes. Um, but again, just the fact of tonight that I felt like I had to manipulate a couple of things, just want to get it looked at and make sure we're not doing any harm, uh, any, any more damage or, and then I can get back to hundred percent and help this team win some games. Justin, was it a pretty similar sensation to the first time yeah. around or was yeah. it different at all? No, no, no. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. So, um, again, like the fact that I'm able to hold my velo stuff, still be sharp and, um, command was good. And I didn't feel like I was spraying the ball is all encouraging things to me. Um, excited tomorrow to get it looked at so we can pinpoint what it is and, and get on the right track and get back to where I was at. So you'd have to imagine an IL stint is coming today, and we'll see uh, the length. Mariners have some off days coming up, so they won't need another starter. Uh, no bullpen days, at least for the next uh, week or two, but we'll see how long he'll be on the IL this time around. It's too bad, too. He's Made some strides this season, and it was off to a really good start last night. It would have been interesting to see how that game would have continued. So it was handed over to the bullpen, and Mariners had a one nothing lead in the third, but Tampa got two in the fourth, one in the fifth, a 3-1 lead at that point, which is not a great place to be against Rich Hill, the ageless wonder who's had a marvelous season. You know, coming into uh, before last start against Baltimore and then this start against Seattle, been one of the best pitchers in baseball. Eight starts, an ERA of 0.99, 49 strikeouts in 45 innings. He's just been so good. Opponents batting 138 against him. The curveball has been dynamite. And Tampa has not extended him in games. Generally, you know, five-ish innings. And in those five-ish innings, they've gotten dominant baseball and they've handed things over to a dominant bullpen. And that's kind of been their formula. Their formula was wrecked by the Mariners. Ty France especially. 1-1 one, one here to France. Breaking ball swung on and driven deep to left. Taking a look at it is a Rosarina and bye-bye. Right in Edgar's a two-run homer by Ty France. And the Mariners have closed to within 5-4 here in the sixth for Ty's fifth home run. RBI's 26 and 27. Second home run in the last three days. So big home run right there. Hill would end up going five innings, four earned runs. He did give the bullpen a lead. So Tampa Bay's is not a team you want to try and come from behind against, but the Mariners are trying to do that in the ninth against Fairbanks, who, to put this in perspective, Pete Fairbanks this year coming in had allowed two earned runs on the season. He'd gone the entire last month without allowing anything at all. So... Clearly not a guy you would want to be down a run against, but the Mariners would come back. Shed Long Jr. coming up with a big knock. 
Fairbanks assigned the set, delivers, swing and a line drive to left field, down the line for a base hit. Moore rounding third being waved in. He's going to score around to third, diving to the bag. Bowers, the throw in by a Rosarena, cut off by the shortstop Walls. Long in its second base with an RBI double. Shed has tied it up at 5-5 five to five here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Holy smokes, what a big base hit by Shed Long, his second hit of the night and his second double ties it in the bottom of the ninth so coming up huge right there shed long with a couple of huge doubles in the ball game uh, jason churchill has some interesting thoughts on shed long jr as well uh so we'll talk more about him as this podcast continues but that would bring up kyle seager who had an off day until he didn't he strolls up with a chance to win the ball game and walk this one off the Mariners looking for a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And the Fairbanks 0-1 pitch on the way to Kyle Seager. Swinging the ground ball, base into right field. The Mariners win it. Bowers will score. Kyle Seager with a pinch hit. RBI walk-off single here in the bottom of the ninth. And the Mariners come from behind and beat the Rays. 6-5 to five to take the opening game of this four-game series. And Seager's getting mobbed out there in shallow right field. So great. Mariners get the win in game one of the series against Tampa Bay. We'll talk about what comes up next. First, what do we hear from Kyle Seager? Kyle, do you think you're going to play tonight when the game started? No. <laughs> I, uh, I did not think I was getting in that game. No, I did not. It worked out, though. I'm glad it did. So when did you – When did I mean, I, I didn't know if you, if you had your turfs on, your spikes on, or did you take swings underneath? When did you think, you, hey, I might have to pinch hit? Uh, well, they, they gave me a heads up on that. So I knew, I knew when the ninth inning, uh, starting that, you know, I might get in there and, you know, may hit in this, if this situation rises, you may get up type deal. And then you got, uh, Nas underneath. He's always ready. So he can do, he can do it all. So anytime, uh, anything you need. So he's, he's just a man. But you got, you got swings in though, before you got in there, you got some swings off the tee or anything like that, or some cage stuff before you got in there. I took some swings there, and yeah, before that, uh, right when that inning was going and everything. So yeah. When you're facing a guy like Fairbanks, who's got some pretty nasty stuff, but obviously the command was, you know, a little bit off tonight. What's what's your approach up there when, again, when you know that, again, he's thrown a lot of balls in this game. Um, yeah, no, I uh, well, I was underneath the cage. I was in the cage for most of the inning, so I didn't I didn't get to see too too much of it. There's, um, you know, you can hear the the highlights and you can hear, you know, what's kind of going on and that type of deal. And there, there's a, you know, someone was yelling to me what was happening type of deal. So if I was going to get up there, but, um, you know, I threw the first pitch to me and I was kind of like, oh, I'm, I might be in a little bit of trouble here. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Did Z say anything to you when you got to the plate or when he stole that strike on the first pitch? Uh, he said, welcome to the game. Yeah, he did drop that line on me. I don't know if this mattered to you though, but you have a you had a streak of like 260 games played, and you get in tonight and extend it with that hit. I mean, I know you it matters to you about being there and being available every day, but to get in and kind of extend that streak doing this, I probably felt pretty good. The the important part of me is to you know to a to be somebody that they can you know they want to put in the lineup every day. I think that's a big part of it. I think b taking care of yourself physically where you're able to do that is a big part of it, and you know, you kind of want to be the dependable guy. You want to be the guy that you, 
you can almost just take for granted that you'll go out there and do your job. So that's, that's kind of always been the goal. Um, you know, I got a few, few games to catch Ripken. So I, it hadn't quite crossed my mind yet in that sense, but yeah, it's, it's more about just being, you know, there for, you know, trying to be there for your teammates and just be somebody that, you know, you try to be as dependable as you can. Hey Kyle, what's happened to these post-game celebrations since you broke in the league? I see some powder out there, all sorts of different fluids. Uh, the celebrations have taken on a whole different look than earlier in your career, haven't they? Uh, they have, yeah. Usually that stuff, um, it used to go on kind of behind closed doors, I would say, more so. Um, it's, but it's definitely, you know, it's, it's crept out there and, you know, a lot of the celebrations and stuff have crept out onto the field. That's for sure. So it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely different than, you know, when, when I broke in and, you know, but we, you know, my, the first couple of years there was, you know, we didn't score that many runs. So that was always kind of a problem for us. We had Felix going, you know, eight, nine innings and giving up one run and guy, we couldn't score for the guy. So it was, it was tough. It seemed to be a little more violent. They seem to be a little more violent, too. They're grabbing. They are getting violent. Absolutely. I tried to do, like, a Murphy and just try to, like, scare people away, but it didn't work at all. I was going to use the help. They used the helmet as, like, a weapon. But, you know, they went right through that. They kind of called my bluff on that one. But I've seen a lot of other guys get the baby powder. That was my first, you know, encounter with that one. So, didn't love it. You didn't give the Murphy face. That's why. I don't think anybody can give the Murphy face. So, that was, that was tough. Hey, Kyle, you don't pinch hit very often, so you come into the game fresh like that. Is there any advantage you haven't had any previous at bats to be angry or upset about or excited about? It's just it's just one at bat, and you kind of focus in on that. Hey, for how I've been swinging lately, it's definitely an advantage where I'm not you know predetermined. I'm already mad going in there in the ninth inning, so that that was definitely no. You're you're probably right on that one, but yeah, it's it's um it's a fresh, and usually if you're pinch hitting, you know for. Me, I'm not necessarily a guy who's going to be leading off an inning and looking to steal. So usually if I'm hitting in that situation, it's going to be, you know, a guy in scoring position. So that kind of – it can simplify the approach a little bit for me. So that definitely – you know, that definitely helps and, you know, absolutely plays a part. And here's Scott's service after the game. Heck of an effort by, I think, uh, everybody that, that walked on that field tonight for us. Um, certainly uh, some – Early adversity with, uh, you know, Justin Dunn coming out of the game after a couple innings. He had some some shoulder discomfort and, and really didn't feel like he could go back out. Uh, it's too bad because I, I thought he was throwing the ball really good, uh, but he didn't feel great there in the second inning. So uh, we had to go to our bullpen, um, and we went to a lot of guys and, uh, you know, kind of matching it up and trying to get multiple innings out of a couple of them. I thought those guys did a great job uh, to keep us in the ball game. So, uh you know, offensively tonight, um, you know, Ty France with a big homer. Terenz swung the bat really well again, which is great to see. And then, you know, a great little rally we put together in the ninth inning. Uh, it's good at bats. Demo had a good at bat leading it off. Bowers, a big hit, uh, none bigger than, than Shed Long's. And then, uh, you know, was was really supposed to be an off today uh, for, for Kyle Seeger. But, you know, when you get to that point in the game and you, you got your one bullet to shoot, you might as well shoot it. And, uh Give Siegs a ton of credit, you know, on an off day, um, you know, you kind of shut down mentally and physically, but gave him a heads up. If there's two out, two on in the, in the ninth, you know, we're probably going to need you to hit and he stepped up, got the big hit for us there. So a great team win against a very, very good team uh, on the other side. So good way to start the series. Hey, Scott. Um, 
was your intention to have Kyle sit the whole game if possible to get a full game of rest for him? I know he's been grinding pretty hard lately. It absolutely was. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, you look at games like that and, um, you know, that was the plan. Just have a full day down. Um, you kind of regroup physically and mentally, but, you know, when you got a veteran on your bench like that and your team has rallied and worked so hard to give you a chance to win, you know, you got to take a shot and um, grateful that we had him and him to, to take the right mindset to go up there, have a good at bat and got it done for us. And like you say, with, uh, with Kyle, you know, the, the plan wasn't necessarily to bring him in today. I'm sure the plan wasn't for your starter to only go two innings. How difficult is that to kind of have to, you know, sort of come up with a plan on the fly with, with the bullpen? Yeah, it, it's not easy. Uh, you know, you spent most of your, your mental energy all night trying to mix and match. How's this going to work? Who, how can we get through this ball game without burning out everybody? And uh, I just, again, tip my hat, all those guys coming in there, starting with Shaggy. Shaggy's been really good. Um, Rosarina hits a really tough pitch out for the two-run homer. I can't remember the last time Shaggy's given up a run. He's just been so consistent for us. I thought Miz threw the ball pretty well tonight. Seawald, uh, even Montero, not a lot of luck. Uh, out there, but I thought he threw the ball well. So, um, you know, it takes everybody chipping in when the starter goes out in the second inning, and, and our guys certainly did an awesome job tonight. It doesn't matter when you pitch. You just got to take the ball and go out there and give us good effort, and they all did that. Hey, Scott, Fraley uh, obviously came in the game late. Uh, why was he scratched earlier? Yeah, you know, he, he felt, uh, you know, the hamstring issue that, you know, he had a very severe hamstring injury and and um you know he felt it last night in the game came in today got a bunch of treatment was trying to get loose just thought it would be best if, if he was down um again don't want to push it we've had so many guys get hurt um and he did have a serious hamstring tear so we need to be careful with that one and, you know that's why he was the late scratch today hey scott this is the second time where justin's complained of shoulder discomfort um I would imagine this is probably an IL stint and you guys want to be ultra careful now after two times in three weeks. Yeah, no, no question. He'll get uh, MRI tomorrow. Uh, we do have some off days coming up here. Uh, but yeah, we need to find out what's going on in there. And, you know, so he has peace of mind and, you know, if there is an issue, we'll get it calmed down and, and get it right before he goes back out there again. I mean, Scott, when he, when they tell you that he can't go though, I'm, you've heard that so many times this year from your starters guys coming in unable it's gotta just be difficult every time isn't it it is it's just it's out of your control you know and you try to just map it out best way we can to put the other guys in a position where they can have success and knowing that we're going to have to have them step up but it's not a good feeling uh that's for sure you, you lean so heavily on your starting pitching it's their day to go out there and, and give your team a chance and uh, when they go out in the second inning it does make it challenging but Everybody understands where you're at. They know it's time to step up, and, and our guys did tonight. Scott, apologies if you hit this already, but when did he know that it wasn't going to work tonight, that the, the shoulder was going to be too much to work through? Uh, after he came off the mound after the second inning, Curtis. Yeah. Um, before that, you know, he had no idea there was anything going on. Uh, like I said, I thought his stuff was really good tonight. thought he was sharp, throwing strikes. So uh, I was surprised as anybody. Um, to hear that, that he had an issue. Scott, just the, uh, you know, team sees the starter go out after two innings, you're playing the Rays, but you guys just kind of chipped away at Hill. You got some curveballs that you did hit pretty hard, some balls up, but Trent's got the fastball up, but it seemed like you just kind of kept pecking away. Every time they try to add, you guys had a little bit of an answer to keep it within reach. 
Yeah, the home runs are huge. Renz hits one, and then Ty France gets a hanging curveball. Um, you know, so you know you're down five two. The two run homer five four. You're right there. You got a shot, and you know we 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 threw some zeros up there on them so they couldn't extend that lead. That's really the key to the ball game. I don't think bullpen guys get enough credit when they come in when you're down one or two runs and they can keep it right there. It gives you a chance, and uh, that, that's it's so important. Uh, that's how you you have those come from behind wins. It takes quality bullpen guys, and it's not just your back end guys. It's all the guys stepping up. Even Hector tonight. It's about as good as we've seen Hector. We've seen him really good, but he had a little adrenaline going tonight. He was throwing a little harder uh, when the game's tight like that, and he knew he was going to pitch. You know, just a matter of time and, and when. Scott, did they give you any explanation on the replay? <laughs> I, I just, I mean, like we saw three different versions of it. And I just don't understand how that call can be upheld. Yeah, that's that's one of the worst ones. When you're looking at the big board in the stadium and everybody else has got looks at it, um, you know, it, it's disheartening. It really is. I have no idea what they're looking at there. Um, it's very clear to me um, that he was safe getting back into the base. The ball's not in the first baseman's in the choice glove yet. Um, I don't know. I'll talk to our replay guy. Maybe there's some, uh, uh, you know, angle that I couldn't see or, or maybe he did see, but – you kind of just laugh at it. That's how bad it was, I thought. So this weekend, three more against Tampa Bay. This is a really fun series. I hope you get a chance to come out to the ballpark the next three because the matchups are fun. Tampa Bay is a really good team. Yusei Kikuchi on the mound tonight, 7-10 first pitch. Michael Waka will go for Tampa Bay. Logan Gilbert goes on the mound on Saturday, who had – the best start in his young career last time at against Cleveland. He'll go against Josh Fleming in game two of the uh, game three of the series, game two of the weekend. And then the finale on Sunday, day baseball. Marco Gonzalez against Shane McClanahan. If you've not seen McClanahan pitch, it's something. His stuff is wicked. So that's going to be a fun ball game as well on Sunday. So we'll see what happens in this series, and we'll talk about it more coming up on Monday. Now, let's have a conversation with Two of my favorites, Jason Churchill and Luke Arkins, about how the season's gone for the Mariners so far. There's so much that has happened this year, but what are kind of your general impressions of this Mariners season? Yeah, I think what's fun here, and, and Luke and I have talked about it, is there's there's always so many ups and downs, and you never really know when the ups are going to come. You never really know when the downs are going to come, and you don't know what they're going to look like. And, it, you know, to a large extent for the 2021 Mariners, it's, it's been injuries. That, that's been a huge part of the, uh, the equation. And, and while that's part of every season, it's been a little bit, you know, deeper. Uh, I think injuries have sunk into this team and many other clubs in Major League Baseball this year. The injury bug has bitten them you know, a little harder than in the past. And, and, and the, the part that I have a hard time about is, like, it, and I was talking about a little bit last night on Twitter a, after the game, you, you look at this team and you look at the record and it's really hard to say, well, this is who they are. Like, I don't know that this is who they are. Are, are they better than this? I don't know. Maybe they are actually, you know, who this is. And I, I think for me, you know, 60 plus games into the season, the thing that stands out to me the most is the fact that I don't really have a good idea who this team is. Have they taken a step forward or was that kind of last year or have they actually taken a step back? I guess I don't know the answer to that question either. And, and to me, that's both fascinating and, and confusing. And, you know, it just makes me want to watch the next game. I, I guess that much more. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, uh, I call it a season of discovery that uh, what we're watching is, is uh, sort of a transformation and that the roster that we started with at the beginning of the season is probably going to look a lot different by the end. 
You're going to see some young guys come up. That's going to change the, the complexion of the team. We may see some deadline deals to either bring in players that might help immediately or maybe some guys leave. And so we really don't know what we're going to see moving forward. And like Jason said, it's, you know, it's every game is, is, uh, is worth watching. Every game is exciting because you just don't know what you're going to see. You don't know who's really going to be the star of the night. And, you know, and, and all things considered, I think they're doing pretty well considering the injuries they've had and, and, and some of the struggles and, and whatnot, they're doing pretty well. And do you get the impression guys that, um, that the Mariners know what they have, or maybe don't know what they have, you know, we're sitting here trying to figure it out. It's kind of what we do, you know, Luke and I trying to figure out what's going on and, and using data to try to figure out what players are and what the trends are. But uh, I, I, you know, we don't hear Jerry DePoto or, you know, Scott service really talk about this in the big picture all that much, um, you know, which is entirely fine, but, I'm not sure that they're sure or, or that they feel confident in exactly, you know, what they have at this point. And, and it sounds like, you know, Jerry wanted to do some things over the off season that they weren't able to get done for various reasons, but that maybe things have changed a little bit. It's just, it's difficult. It's still foggy. And, and, and I guess if you'd asked me in December, you know, what we might be looking at, I, I would say, I think Jerry's going to have a pretty good grasp on what the 22 team could and should look like based on 60 or 70 games. And I, I, I'm not sure that's the case partially because of injury, but partially because some young guys have struggled. And I don't think we saw this JP Crawford thing necessarily coming at this particular rate and, you know, other things, you know, that have happened. And, and, and I just wonder that I think every night I wonder that does Jerry know what he has? Do they have a good grasp on what they actually have? And, and if the winter started tomorrow and it was another 60 game season, how much confidence would actually be there in that front office in terms of, what do we need to go get? What, what do we need to go get? What do, where do we, you know, throw the young player again? Is that left field? Is it first base? Is it both? Um, it, it just seems like there's still so many questions up in the air, you know, and, and for being, you know, what are we, you know, two and a half months into the season, I just thought there'd be uh, a little bit more clarity at this point. That, that gets tough. You think about it. Who, do you guys know who has uh... Which player in the Mariners has the fourth most plate appearances uh, in, in the majors? No, is, is, is that JP? Guess? No, it's, uh, it's uh, Jake Bowers. <laughs> okay. 25-year-old Jake Bowers has 950 plate appearances. I just looked it up before. And, and uh, yeah, JP is just over 1,100. And so all these other guys, you start looking at the guys, a lot of them don't have more than 600 plate appearances in the majors and they're spread over a couple, three seasons, you know, uh, just like shed long, uh, Dylan Moore, uh, you know, we, even, even, uh, JP Crawford hasn't played a hundred games in a season. So it's so tough to know what they really are. I'm sure that the team has a sense for what they think they're going to be, but uh, as I'm sure they would tell you, you have to go out and do it. You have to demonstrate that you actually can perform and there really hasn't been an opportunity that's why I am fascinated to see how this plays out the rest of the way with J.P. Crawford in particular, uh, with Jake Fraley, too, who it's funny with guys like that. It seems like they've been around for a while. We've been aware of Jake Fraley for a while. But before this year, he's played in 19 games and still this year he's played in 20 games that that in terms of sample size, that's nothing. So I am so anxious to see how it plays out for guys like that the rest of the way. And I think for me, the, uh, you know, when I look at players and, and I always get the question, you know, is this real? How much of this can, 
uh, can he sustain, you know, is there something different? And that, that is the thing that I generally look at in a player who starts kind of sort of suddenly performing well above what he has before, even if it's just a 20 game sample over a 19 game sample, is he doing something different or is what he was doing already, was that process already correct? And now the sample's large enough and the experience sample is large enough for it to just, and, and I think that's the case with Jake Fraley for some success to actually, you know, happen with JP, I'm looking for differences. You know, I'm looking for things he's doing differently. And while that's difficult to see on television, I think we can see some different things with the balance in a swing and, and his setup and where his hands are. And, and boy, he's, if you go look at zone coverage on a guy like JP Crawford right now, too, it looks like Adam Frazier and, you know, high contact covering the entire zone has it and doesn't swing and miss a lot. He's got a chance to, to have success and, and I think at this point in the season, that's what I'm looking at. The, the Jake Fraley question, I, I don't know if Luke's got a, a different take on Fraley. It is a super small sample, like you said, Gary, but um, he's always, at least since the Mariners acquired him in, in that deal from Tampa, this is who he's been. He's been a guy who doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone, who doesn't have tremendous bat speed. He doesn't have a big power swing. So he's not necessarily going to end up, you know, people aren't going to mistake him for, for Clint Frazier you know, with the big power swing and all the bat speed, but uh, it's a short swing and he's getting to a lot of stuff and we're seeing some success as a, as a result of that. Um, you know, and, and some folks have had given up on Jake Fraley, you know, he gets 25, 26 years old and these guys don't really like injuries. And it's like, you forget about, you know, guys like this and like, here he is. And now all of a sudden the question is, is it real? So that's actually one of the, the more fun things about a, a team in a rebuild and, and especially where Seattle is right now, where they're trying to, you know, trying to come out of the rebuild a little bit and, and turn the corner a little bit. And it, I didn't think Jake Fraley was going to be a topic we'd talk about in June, in the middle of June, you know, performing like this. I mean, JP Crawford, maybe Jake Fraley. No, it's just uh, baseball is one of those things. Luke says this a lot. Baseball is the best sport. And that's just one of many millions of reasons why it's the best sport. It's so unpredictable. Yeah, it's fun. To, you know, he's had a lot of bad luck. Injuries have really set him back. You know, two years ago, he would have had a much better opportunity to play. He was called up. He was going to get the play. And then I forget how many games he had in before he, well, I think he hurt his hand. Mm -hmm. And then last year, they didn't call him up for whatever reason. And here we are a couple, three years after the, the trade that brought him here. And we still don't know what we have. And it, the nice thing is, the fun thing is, we're going to get to see what he is over this season. And hopefully, uh, Hopefully he flourishes and, and is a, a productive player for the Mariners. But, uh, you know, when you look at the, you look at the uh, overall uh, rebuild, and I've said this to Jason, I think, you know, it's hard to say that the Mariners are hurt more than any other team by last year, but they certainly were set back by it. There's no doubt about it. When you think about it, you start going down all the players. Logan Gilbert probably had a chance to start the season with the Mariners if he had been called up last year. Jared Kellenick and the whole service time thing may never have come up if he had played a full minor league season last year. And you can just go down the line. Evan White probably goes back to Tacoma and kind of catches his breath and then comes back up possibly even at the start of this year, that opportunity wasn't there for him. And so you just, you could just go down the roster of all these players that didn't have an opportunity to d demonstrate that they could play the big leagues or develop in the minor leagues. You could look at the pitchers, Justice Sheffield, Justice Dunn, 
you know, how many starts did they have? Nine or 10 starts last year. You're going to this year. You still don't really know what you have in them. And you're still trying to figure it out. And I assume back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, Gary, this is what the team is trying to figure out. You mentioned Logan Gilbert at the start of this. And I'm curious to get both your takes on Logan Gilbert. It's been interesting to watch him kind of stair step, you know, just a little improvement. It seems like every time out. And then last time out against Cleveland, I thought he was excellent, really good, including a changeup that he unveiled really for the first time. We've seen it here and there, but not like that with some great movement, spotting his fastball. Uh, he looked like the guy that we've been hearing about this entire time. Yeah, that, that's definitely the the truth. And, and I know that they believe in Logan Gilbert as much as they believe in any other young, young players. And, uh, and I know they've, they've tested him and, and on some things and are just blown away by how he thinks about the process and he thinks about game plans and he thinks about attacking hitters first, second, third time through. And, and they felt really comfortable that, you know, as long as they didn't push it, as long as they didn't rush it, that he was just going to be fine. Uh, the thing with Gilbert is a big kid, you know, six, five, six, six, you know, 225, 230 pounds. And, and, uh, with command being a positive for him, I think you could see in those early starts, he was a little bit all over the place with his delivery and his mechanics. And when you get a big guy like that, and, and uh, I, I don't want to say he's James Paxton, but Paxton has had similar issues, you know, um, for, for fairly similar reasons. But uh, as soon as he got that going on, he was in line to the plate and he was keeping his shoulder closed. You could just, he was just pounding the zone and you could see the deception and the movement on his fastball start to play out with some swings and misses and things like that. And that really for him sets up everything. Um, the one thing I remember about Gilbert coming out of uh, college was that changeup. I, I think that's the thing that probably stands out most. When I was calling around maybe the week before the draft back in 18, and I was like, is there something about this guy that doesn't get talked about a lot that um, people are just thinking, okay, the velo is down a little bit this spring, but you know, he's been up to 94, 95, 96. You think he's a power arm. It's got two breaking balls already. Like what's the thing that people are missing and to a man, it was, hey, there have been stretches where his best pitch has been his changeup, and he doesn't throw it a lot, but it's there. So whoever drafts him is getting a legitimate four-pitch guy, and, and uh, you're right, Gary, we saw that in that Cleveland game. We saw him, I mean, he tunnels the, you know, the fastball slider, changeup comes into play there. The curveball doesn't tunnel with, with everything else, but it's, you know, certainly a potential future weapon. We've seen him flash it a little bit. When you go and, and you know what, Chris Flexen on Tuesday night had a similar game where when you have everything working and you're commanding it, you don't have to throw 98 with, you know, you don't have to be Jacob DeGrom. There's still a lot of room in the game for, you know, this is a comp I've thrown out there for, for Logan Gilbert, for the John lackeys of the world to be really, really good and really, really valuable. And I think, you know, moving forward, we're going to see a lot of John lackey type, you know, performances game to game, year to year from uh, from Logan Gilbert. I, I think he's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that, although I'd say what he hits me as he's cerebral and that he uh, he's process-driven, and that is what I think has helped him get through those bumps in the beginning and kept him on course. And, and that, to me, is pretty important for a young player. That, you know, when you think about it, you come up, there's a lot new going on, there's a lot of stress going on, and now you get punched around a little bit. But you, if you go back to your process, you stick to the process, it will bring you back to where you want to be. And I think one of the coolest things about um, what Gilbert has done, it's, it, it's a tiny sample, but we always hear things about like when young players don't struggle at the minor league level 
and they get to the big leagues and struggle for the first time. Jared Kelnick is a great example. I hadn't struggled in his entire life, you know, for with, with anything he's wanted to do at the plate, with anything he's wanted to do, he's he's been great. Base running, everything, it's been great. Challenges, yes. Struggles, absolutely not. He gets to the big leagues in massive struggles, and that's really the first time. But when you go to Gilbert, there, there were some inconsistencies, some struggles, some legitimate struggles, and he can't, you know, fix anything like, the next day, he's got to wait six days to do to do it again. But it, failing, struggling, and then having success, uh, I just think uh, something like that. And when you see it really early, like uh, with what Gilbert's done, um, I think that pushes him like forward. I, I think already in in the handful of starts that he's had, in my mind, he's penciled in. You know, from here until. You know, whenever he leaves via free agency or the team trades him or whatever the situation is years down the road, he's that guy, at least in the middle of that rotation. I, you know, already at this point, there's, there's not going to be a reason to send him back. He's already done this, you know, three, four starts struggling a couple starts, pretty good moving forward. We've talked about how well he thinks through everything. The stuff is good enough to play um, stability. I think of Logan Gilbert as adding with Marco Gonzalez, ultimately, maybe even you say Kikuchi moving forward into 2022 and beyond the Mariners are building some stability in their rotation. And, you know, a good portion of that is, is Logan Gilbert right now. And, uh, you know, Justin uh, Dunn and, uh, and Justice Sheffield still trying to get there, but I think Gilbert's already showing a glimpse of what the Mariners have moving forward. And uh, if I'm a Mariners fan and I'm thinking about this team, I think Logan Gilbert's probably the thing I'm most excited about today. And that's because pitching is very expensive and, and Gilbert getting to the big leagues and having some success. Again, I understand it's a small sample uh, tells me that the Mariners know what they're doing in terms of drafting these kids, developing these kids, getting them into the big leagues, preparing them for the big leagues. And now we're seeing Gilbert have success there. That gives me confidence. They're going to be able to do the same thing with guys like George Kirby and Emerson Hancock. You know, you get asked a lot and you hear a lot, are, are they actually good at player development? Well, yes. How good? Well, I guess we'll find out if these guys become productive big leaguers and Gilbert's kind of the first glimpse of that uh, on the, on the pitcher's mound right now. And I think we can see kind of what's coming there. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. Outside of Gilbert, what are you most anxious to see from this team, either an individual or team-wide the rest of the way this year? Oh, that's a good question, Gary. I think um, I'm going to be a little off the the side. I think most folks would think get Kelnick back up, see what Evan White can do when he comes back up. Uh, Cal Raleigh is probably the the buzz right now down on the farm. Um, Julio is probably a year away, so that's probably not part of the equation this year. But uh, for me, it's getting that extended look for Shed Long. Shed Long was good in the, in the small sample. We saw him in 2019 last year was just marred by injury. So I'm totally like throwing out in my mind, 2020, I'm not looking at the numbers for Shed Long. I'm looking at 2019, what he's done in the minors and what he's done so far after being called back. And I think those are the kinds of players that I'm most excited to see because it's easy to look at the, the Gilberts. It's easy to look at the Kelnicks and it's easy. It's not hard to go, Hey, this guy's probably going to be good it's a little harder to look at Jake Bowers or even shed long at 24, 25, 26 years old. Jake Fraley falls into this category and say, Hey, if they get something out of him, they could get something out of it. And if they do, 
here's kind of how valuable that is because everybody wants the hot prospect or to sign the elite free agent, but no matter which roster you look at, you find these players, a couple of examples I've used, Justin Turner was nothing and the Dodgers get a hold of him. He's been like maybe the most underrated player in baseball the last five, six years. Uh, Max Muncy was another one. Didn't do anything, goes to the Dodgers. They turn it around. Um, you know, Chris Taylor is a little bit of a different story, but it's fairly similar, but there are guys out there that it just doesn't click for them until they're 25, 26. Luke was mentioning this a bit ago. You get to a thousand, 1500 plate appearance and he, and you get a good idea of what these players can be. And we're nowhere near that with Jake Fraley and Shed Long. And I, I think let's get there. Let's, let's fast forward to the end of the season. Let's get them 500 plate appearances. Let's get them all this time on the field, playing second, playing third, playing left, whatever it is, and see what's there because one or more than one can be an answer for this team in 2022, maybe beyond. I think Dylan Moore falls into this category a little bit too. You know, a little older, 28, going to be 29, I think. Um, but maybe he's the second baseman or maybe he's your utility player because he can play three or four different positions. And those are the things that, uh, that we don't think about a lot and that we kind of have to sprinkle into um, the equation when we're thinking about, you know, next year, what does this team look like next year? Can they win? Who is, who, who are going to be the answers? Like, what do they do at first base? Like, you know, assuming that Evan White's the guy, we don't know. Is it Ty France? I don't know. Maybe it's Jake Bowers. You know, maybe it is, maybe it's old 24. I, I, I don't know, you know, and I'm a little geeky when it comes to things that excite me like that, but uh, shed long, I, I would put shed long at the top of that list. I'm most excited to watch shed long for another 400 plate appearances. Yeah, I, I think I would go along the same line because when you look at the, uh, you know, the upcoming off season, you know, Jerry DePoto has spoken about spending money. And so where are they going to spend the money? It probably has a lot to do with how the guys on the team right now are performing. The Shed Longs, the Dylan Moores, those kind of guys. Are they going to get a second baseman or free agency or what, you know, and so on? Like J.P. Crawford, that's, of course, the big question with all these free agents uh, coming in the short, uh, shortstop class. So, yeah, what, how are these guys going to do? You, you look at Kelnick, Cal Raleigh even. You know, even if they scuffle this year, it doesn't really change anything. They're still going to be part of next year's plan, but the other guys that uh, Jason was speaking about, they, they may not be. And so it'd be interesting to see what they have so they can kind of flush out and, and determine what they're going to spend money on. You say Kikuchi is another guy like that. Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield, get a full season on the belt. What are they? What are they going to be yeah, part of good. the future? Luke and I have or, talked about that. Yeah. Or are we going to, you know, because again, you know, for me personally, I'm always going to talk about starting pitching. You look at the teams around the, around the league, even the teams that aren't hitting well, they, they're they staying competitive because, you know, Cleveland and uh, the Mets, for instance, not a lot of offense, but they're, they're still in it. Why? Because they have pitching. And so that I'm sure that, uh, you know, the front office with the Mariners feels the same way. And so what do they have in the pitching staff? How many of those guys are really going to be part of the future? And because if they're not, then perhaps they do have to go out and sign a free agent or trade for somebody who's going to be on the club control that's already a proven performer. So that's what I'm looking at, too. I'm not so much. The kids are fun. I, I can't wait to see Cal Raleigh up. I can't wait to see Jared Kelly come back up. But at the end of the day, the other guys, you know, we're kind of getting to make or break time. The more mature Guys like Dylan Moore, J.P. Crawford, who's only 26, uh, who, but he's been around for five years. Shed Long, not quite as long either, but Jake Fraley, like kind of need to figure out what we're doing there and, and then move forward into, into the offseason and, of course, into 2022. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. You know, it's funny. I've, I've been thinking about a lot of the names we've been talking about so far, the uh, Fraley's of the world and shed long, which is a great example. Post hype guys, I guess, you know, everyone gets excited about prospects. I get as excited as everyone else about news prospects and seeing players for the first time. But, you know, I watched JP and how this is playing out. It seems like JP has been around forever. He really hasn't because as Luke pointed out, he's he never played over a hundred games, but it's just funny when the post hype wears off and you see a guy emerge. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there he is. Or at least we hope this is him. There he is. It, JP is a fascinating, you know, case in, in, in a lot of ways, but just as a player, I mean, I was looking it up uh, after the, the 10, nothing win over the, the twins uh, he was fourth in F4 among all major league shortstops over the last 30 days. And I, I think the streak that he's on, the run that he's on, started about six weeks ago, like beginning of May, somewhere in that range. Um, but for the year, he's now been a top 10 shortstop. And, and even if you split the defense away from that, he's still been a top 10 shortstop. So J.P. Crawford, I mean, saying this out loud right now is just surreal to me. J.P. Crawford has been a top 10 offensive shortstop in major league baseball in 2021. If you ask me, hey, that's going to be the case, you know, you know, am I crazy? I'd have said, yeah, absolutely, you know, because of all that inconsistency. But again, another JP, just like the Shed Long conversation and the, and the Dylan Moore conversation, JP is a little further down that road too. And I think that's pretty important. We know he's a good defensive player. And I think he gives you just enough offense to where he's not necessarily going to be a hindrance to your lineup if the rest of the lineup is up to par. But seeing him push forward like this a little bit, and, and some of it's not sustainable, but I think some of it is, is, uh, is a pretty remarkable value considering he's, uh, you know, it's this is his third full year, if it indeed becomes a full year for him, uh, started the year with a little over two years of, uh, uh, of experience, and they control his contract through, what, 2024? So it could be because of what J.P. Crawford may be developing into um, – they could be looking, this club could be looking at an above average shortstop for, you know, minimal, you know, investment, you know, at, at the end of the day. And that's really valuable because they're obviously, we talked about the pitching, you know, first base, we don't know what's going to happen at third base with Kyle Seeger and his contract. There are holes they are going to have to fill. And if indeed at the end of the year, it doesn't look like shortstop is one of them bonus. I mean, that's the biggest bonus because it's a very difficult position to, to, uh, to fill. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, he did that. Uh, JP had a, a, a similar stretch in 2019 where he did very well. Then he got hurt. Uh, of course, like I said, it'd be nice to see him do a full season here. But if a guy is elite level defense, and even if he's just slightly above average with his bat, why would you consider replacing him? Why would you consider moving him to another position? Why, why not just fill the other position with somebody else? You, you have value in, in the player like Jason alluded to. Why, why not just spend your money elsewhere? Because there, there's going to be plenty of holes to fill, uh, particularly in the pitching staff. And then, of course, a couple of positions that uh, they're definitely going to have to go outside for in one way or another. Why mess with something you, you already know? You, he's a player you understand. He's a player you help develop. Why would you turn your back on that? And Luke, you've actually done a really great job on Twitter pointing out some of the bigger names, how he's compared very favorably to some of the bigger names on the market. Baez, for example. Yeah, uh, Baez, uh, I mean, nothing against the player or the, or the person, but, uh, you know, you routinely watch a broadcast and they talk about how, how great he is. And I keep thinking to myself, well, he's, 
he swings at nearly everything. He misses. He strikes out a, a ridiculous amount. He barely walks, and so, and he does have pop, and he is above average defender. But you know why? Why would you spend serious money on that when JP Crawford is, is in a lot of ways better right now? Yeah, and you know when you're comparing those two players in particular. And you think about the way baseball probably is going to change even between now and the end of this season, let alone now and the end of you know, the beginning of next year, or the end of next year with things they're doing with the baseball and the, the spider attack and, you know, other changes they might make that help players, um, you know, make a little bit more contact while some are saying, Hey, this makes a guy like Javier Baez who strikes out a lot more valuable because he won't strike out as much. I say it actually makes a player like JP Crawford even more valuable because there's still going to be strikeouts, a high rate of strikeouts, no matter what they do with the, uh, the spider tax stuff, because the, the top of the zone and the velocity is still going to be there. So until they make a change to the top of the strike zone, you're still going to have that. So having a guy like JP Crawford is going to become more valuable as time passes, because there's so many strikeouts and there's so many, like if the home runs, if they keep pulling the ball back and dejuicing the baseball and, um, and things of that nature, like JP Crawford's the guy you want. It's not Javier Baez. It's JP Crawford, you know, especially considering the cost that, you know, you're gonna have to go out and give Baez what five to 10 years, 25 to $35 million a year. And, you know, JP's, you know, worth quite a bit of money right now, but the Mariners don't have to pay him a lot of money for the next three and a half years. So it's a no brainer for me. And, and, and this goes back to what I was saying just a minute ago. I would be floored if shortstop was addressed. I'd be, to be honest with you, I'd probably criticize Jerry DePoto if he addressed shortstop because I think they have their answer, at least for 2022. When I think about this year, the Kyle Lewis is the one that just, that one stings not only from a personal level from everything he has fought through, but I feel like at the time he went down, there was some really good stuff happening underneath the hood. When you look at swing decisions and, and everything along those lines, I felt like he was sitting on a big run, especially a power run. And it's so unfortunate for this team, middle of the order bat, your center fielder, one of the leaders, one of your future guys to, for, and hopefully we'll see him back at some point this season, but that has been the biggest bummer for me this season, watching this, this season play out. Um, you're right, Gary. That's a really good point about, you know, Lewis, it's, it's heartbreaking. It did seem like we were seeing some really good things kind of like you could just see it on the cusp, almost as if, you know, you're trying to remember something that's on the tip of your tongue. That was, that was Kyle Lewis at the plate. And we've seen the stretches too. We saw September of 19. We saw the first half of, uh, of 2020 where he was very, very good. Um, he was starting to get to his pole side a little bit before the injury. And I was throwing parties in my house about that. Like, like I'm all for try to use the whole field so you can hit for average. He's got a little bit of a long swing and he swings pretty hard and, and he will chase some. So you want a guy who can go the other way, including with some power, but I get pretty excited. That Justin Verlander home run last year is one of my favorite all-time Mariners highlights. And, and the game didn't even really mean much. But when you when you turn on a fat, it's just so pretty. And and you can think about things like that. And and I guarantee you, pitchers thought about him turning on 96 or whatever that was from Verlander the rest of the season. And but to see him get back to that just a little bit. And we saw a little bit of that from Ty France, by the way, on on Tuesday, which I was excited about getting to his pull side, getting under the baseball a little bit. But uh, I, I still see Kyle Lewis as a potential core piece for this team. So 
you're dead on guys. To be honest with you, I was hoping we weren't going to talk about that today because it is, uh, it is, uh, it is very disappointing. Hope he comes back. Hope he's back in August or September, fully healthy starts to hit again because, uh, he's fun. I mean, I, I don't like to always be the, uh, I've been accused of being the downer a lot. And sometimes I've been accused of being the, you know, I'm sprinkling sunshine everywhere when the team isn't very good, but this team is, this team has a lot of fun personalities. Justin Dunn is fantastic. Kyle Lewis, Shed Long is, I was down at Tacoma uh, in 19 and Shed Long, Ricky Henderson to me. And, and what I mean by that is he said the name Shed Long. He said something along the lines of Shed Long's up next or something like that. I'm just like favorite player, like favorite player. Um, so they just have a lot of personalities that are fun to uh, fun to root for. Cal Raleigh is a lot of fun as well. So he's going to be added to the mix at some point. And it's just a really easy team to root for. And I, I understand this really sounds like, uh, you know, again, sprinkling sunshine on a rainy day, but uh, uh, it, it, they're so easy to root for. And Kyle Lewis is right in the middle of that. And I, I just think uh, it, it's so important for like fan morale. Cause we're not alone in that, you know, you know, I think everybody's a fan of Kyle Lewis to some level uh, and, and a lot of folks to a high level and for him to get back and, and put the injuries behind him would be, uh, uh, would be pretty huge, especially if that came this year, kind of leading into next year, because you get some good news, you know, back on the field, one fewer questions, uh, fewer questions to look forward to the, uh, the following season. I don't know if he's a 40 homer guy. He's got that kind of raw power. But I really thought a healthy Kyle Lewis was 260, 30 homer. And, and you're, you're so right. I really thought we were going to start seeing a lot of signs of that. Oh, get to the pull side, Kyle. Get to the pull side. We, we were starting to see that. Very, very, very disappointing that he uh, ended up getting hurt. So best wishes to Kyle Lewis in his comeback. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that he, uh, he got exposed on a national level. Obviously won the rookie of the year, but also MLB Network did that feature on him last year, which was excellent. And uh, you, how can you not root for this kid, you know, and everything he went through and then the results he was delivering and, you know, you know, be the nerd that I am expected weight on base average was actually, actually very good. It, it, it hinted that he was on the up swing when, uh, when he got hurt. And so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's crushing to see it. Uh, you want to see him come back, you know, moving, you know, last year, as I recall, uh, going in the summer camp, the Manners didn't see him as a center fielder or being their center fielder in the last year. But then he came to camp and he showed them that he could do it. And that's where he ended up. So, you know, so the thought of him moving to a corner doesn't seem that radical to me, even if it's just for this year, just so he can, you know, kind of get back on the on the field, kind of, uh, you know, get back on track, do, you know, maybe split time at designated hit or some, whatever it takes to maintain him. Because, you know, when you listen to Jerry DePoto talk about him, it's always about what's in the best interest of Kyle, the long-term interest of Kyle. Certainly they're, they're looking out for their, their, uh, their player for their own interest, but they're also looking out, I think, for the individual himself. And so, yeah, it, it would make sense to me to move him to a corner. And like, but like both of you guys said, it's just it's crushing to see the kid, uh, you know, just take another, uh, another bad blow here and be out for an extended period of time. I think everyone listening knows where to find you, but remind people where to find your work. You guys do such great work. My address is three. Oh, sorry. Um, you can find me on Twitter at prospect insider, prospect insider.com and the baseball things podcast at Luke 
underscore Arkins on Twitter. And then of course at prospect insider. And Luke's address is one, one. Yeah. See, make the joke twice guys, make it twice. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.